Well, last time together we began looking here at these, as verse 7 refers to them in 1 Corinthians 12, manifestations of the Spirit, which the Bible says is given to each one for the profit of all. And again, this idea here of what we often use the terminology, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Bible refers to it as the manifestations of the Spirit. Again, the idea there are manifestations, the word indicates when something's manifest that it's a revelation, uh, it's something that is shown. And the idea of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit here is these are ways, I guess you could say, that the Spirit of God reveals himself among the people of God, demonstrating that he is present among them and that he's at work in their midst. And so on occasion, as verse 11 says, the Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And as the Spirit of God sovereignly sees by his determination and will on occasion, where one of these manifestations is necessary to help the people of God or to bring profit or benefit in some way. He works supernaturally through the children of God, those of us who are uh, indwelt by the Spirit and who are vessels and conduits of God's Spirit here on earth. And he manifests the reality of his presence in the midst of God's people by working out these gifts or these manifestations supernaturally to demonstrate the way in which he is at work among us. Last time we looked there in verse 8 at the first of these mentioned by Paul, and that was the word of wisdom. This evening we want to look at the second half of verse 8. Specifically, Paul says, and then to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. So tonight we want to talk about the word of knowledge. And again, you notice in this sort of list that Paul gives from verses 8 through 10. He just kind of mentions these things. It'd be great if Paul would have said, and let me explain to you what I mean by that, the word of knowledge, and let me explain a few phrases of what I mean. But but Paul just kind of mentions these things, so we almost have to prayerfully and, and with uh, good stewardship look to other places in the word of God to sort of gather a greater understanding, hopefully, of what exactly Exactly these manifestations or the gifts of the Spirit of God are. So tonight we want to talk about specifically what is this word of knowledge as one of the manifestations of the Spirit at times that happens sovereignly among the people of God. Again, knowledge, as we said last time, different from wisdom. Uh, knowledge is basically knowing facts or information. We said that wisdom is the proper application of knowledge or the proper usage of knowledge to make good and wise decisions, to come to resolutions and things of that nature. But knowledge is just knowing facts or knowing information. And again, I think you could fairly say there are at least three different types of knowledge uh, that are possible uh, to be obtained or to have, first of all, would just be what we might refer to as natural knowledge, what we might refer to as just really human intelligence, uh, someone who we might say is a very highly educated person, whether through intellectual pursuits and study and research and reading and learning uh, through forms of education, they've become a very educated person. And then other people are just somewhat naturally smart. Some people just have a very high IQ. 
and they're not even necessarily those who are very learned. God has just blessed them with quite a brilliant mind and, and a rather high intellect. Sometimes it's a combination, sometimes it's one or the other. But natural knowledge is a person who has a brain that's filled with facts filled with all kinds of information. I think another form of knowledge you could fairly say is just simply spiritual knowledge. And in the same way we talk about natural knowledge, spiritual knowledge, somewhat the same way, is basically knowledge about God, about the things of God, the ways of God, and spiritual things that people acquire as the result of getting to know God and certainly studying the Bible, God's word given to us. And as we study the scriptures through spiritual learning of reading the word of God, meditating and studying the word of God through listening to the word of God being taught to us by those who God has called to do such. These are all ways whereby a person can accumulate quite a vast knowledge about spiritual things people can have an incredible understanding and knowledge with all types of facts about the bible the scripture about the will of god and the ways of god and then there is what the bible calls here in verse 8 this manifestation of the spirit times whereby god imparts a word of knowledge and i think it's good that it just says sort of a word of knowledge the idea again here like a word of wisdom this isn't a reservoir of wisdom or a reservoir of knowledge that's been accumulated but this is sort of a timely word the bible talks about a word in season sometimes god gives a word in season that meets the moment and the season that it is required to match together with and there is this manifestation or gift of the spirit where there is a word of knowledge at times god imparts which just sort of a momentary or miraculous enablement by the spirit of god when he sovereignly determines whereby god reveals knowledge or information about something or someone to a person which they did not previously know in other words it's the revelation of god to give knowledge about something or someone to a particular person that they did not know or could not know otherwise unless God revealed it to them. Uh, somewhat we could say these gifts here we're looking at last week, these are, are revelatory gifts. These are things that people could only know if God supernaturally imparted such things to their heart, to their mind, in their spirit. So it's a, a, a supernatural impartation of knowledge about something or someone given to someone by God that they might speak forth that knowledge maybe in a necessary situation that would help bring profit somehow or that would benefit the people of God in some way. Now, as we consider this gift tonight of the word of knowledge, I think as a foundation for understanding the gift, it's important to remember and reflect for just a moment upon the very person who is the source of this gift that we're looking at, who is God himself. And again, 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says very clearly this, God knows all things. So we say that God is omniscient, which is a big word theologically that means God knows everything. There is nothing that God does not know. There is nothing that God can learn. God knows everything presently about everything and everyone. There's nothing God has ever not known previously. There's nothing that God can learn more about or come to a greater or fuller understanding about. God can't learn. Because God is aware of everything, the Bible says that God 
knows everything. God's fully aware of all things and possesses an awareness and perfect understanding of everything that exists. It is fair to say that God possesses all information about everything and everyone. About everything and everyone. Regarding humanity, that means this tonight. God knows your thoughts. God knows everything that's going on inside of your heart and mind. He knows about every one of your actions that you've committed from the moment that you were born until the moment you're sitting here breathing in this chair right now. God knows every thought that has ever run through your mind. He knows every desire that you've had, whether right or wrong. He knows every time when you had an attitude about this that maybe no one else knew that you did. God knows every motive of your heart. He knows every reason why you truly did do or didn't do the thing that you did or didn't do. God knows us fully and intimately. He knows our motives. He knows our future plans. He knows our aspirations. He knows even the things that are going to happen in our future, not just what we're planning, but he even knows what is going to unfold and what isn't going to unfold in regards to your life. God knows everything about what we've done and everything that we will do, and he knows it all right now already. Again, the Bible in many verses reveals this to us. Psalm 44 declares this, For God knows the secrets of the heart. There are things, perhaps maybe even in your life tonight, that are a complete secret from every other human soul on this planet. But it's not a secret from God. Because God knows the secrets of every person's heart. The Bible tells us in Psalm 94, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. I love Psalm 139. It says, before a word is on our tongue, he knows it completely. And then it says, Psalm 139, for you perceive my thoughts from afar. So, before a word comes to my tongue, God already knows exactly what I'm going to say. Now, that's quite an astonishing thing. It's, it's somewhat sobering, and it's also somewhat comforting that when a situation arises or a conversation begins to unfold, God, oh, oh I know what he's going to say. Oh, I, I, know what he's, and some, I know what he's going to say. And, and, and God already knows what I'm going to say, whether it's, oh, no, he's going to say it. And then I know what's going to happen after he says that to her or he says that to him. God already knows our thoughts before they ever happen. In fact, it even says he perceives our thoughts from afar. So not just the words before they come to our tongue, but our thoughts from afar, which the idea of that to me is, and I know this isn't a proper word, but God doesn't just know our thoughts when we have them. He knows our thoughts in the pre-funk stage. If you understand what I'm saying, he perceives our thoughts from afar. In other words, as something begins to happen in your life, God already knows before you think the thought that you think, I know exactly what she's going to think when that happens. I know exactly what's going to come to his mind when this unfolds. Now, is that pretty amazing? That's how deeply and intimately God knows us. Now, that's pretty searching and pretty sobering, but there's also a part of that that's pretty liberating because you don't have to play games with God. And you should stop playing games with God if you are. You're really wasting a lot of time because God knows you so deeply and intimately anyway. So it's a very freeing and liberating thing that, Lord, I can be very real with you. And I'm never going to pull the wool over your eyes so I can be brutally honest and real with you because you know me that well anyway. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 16 that God declares, For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face. Nor is their iniquity, God says, their sin and iniquity, hidden from mine eyes. 
Jeremiah 20.12 says, The Lord sees the mind and the heart. Hebrews 4.13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but listen, all things are naked and open to the eyes of him. Naked and open to the eyes of God. All things, the ways of man, the thoughts of man, the actions of man, the, the secret behaviors that are done behind closed, it's all, again, what, we are masters in humanity of playing cover-up. Again, why, why do we wear clothing? If I can illustrate, we wear clothing because we don't want people to see what we look like without our clothing, right? Why do we put on clothes? To cover up what we don't want other people to see because of our shame or embarrassment. It just, it's just not quite honestly not appropriate as, as well. But part of it is, is, is we must be pretty humiliated walking around if we weren't covered in clothing. Well, 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 God says, look, as you try and cover up in your life, God says, do, do you realize everything's naked and bare before me? I see it. I see through it all. I see it all for what it is. So again, God knows everything about everyone and everything that has happened, is happening, and will happen because of who he is. He possesses something that no one else does. Now, that understanding that God knows all things builds a very rational bridge to this manifestation of the Spirit being described here that God can therefore give to someone a word... He doesn't tell them everything that he knows, but at times he can give to someone a word of his knowledge about something that only he knows about and no one else does because God knows all things. Again, if you're a definition person, this is what I jotted down for the word of knowledge from a definition standpoint. A momentary supernatural enabling by the spirit to know and also communicate information which could not have been known by natural processes, but has been divinely revealed and imparted to you by God. Let me just read that again to you. A momentary supernatural enabling by the Spirit to know and communicate information that could not have been known by natural processes, but has been divinely revealed and imparted to you by God. Again, remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And as he's talking to them, he goes, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah. And, and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, remember, Peter answers Jesus this way. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, to which Jesus then attests to that by saying, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. What was Jesus saying? Peter, the only way you knew that and could answer that accurately was you just had a spiritual revelation. God revealed something to you supernaturally. You didn't understand this through your prophetic insights to all the messianic prop. Peter was a fisherman. Peter didn't know anything like what the rabbis knew and, and, and have a, a gr Peter was a fisherman. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, he, they were unschooled, educated men, uneducated men, just common men. But he said, Peter, you just had a spiritual revelation. God revealed that to you. And this is the idea here of the word of knowledge. It is something that God reveals supernaturally. So some general expressions of this gift at work at times, maybe, for example, maybe God gives a warning about an error that we 
or someone else is either headed into or currently participating in and therefore God gives revelation about it for the profit and benefit of those who may be involved and may be impacted by that erroneous path. Sometimes it's maybe an insight that God gives into a person's true intentions where we can't see each other's hearts and minds, but God knows the true intentions. And so sometimes maybe it's in a, a dating relationship or in a, a potential business partnership and God gives revelation because he says, you're, you're not seeing this, so I'm going to give you revelation to the true intention of what's in that person's heart and mind. And he reveals it for our profit or our benefit to maybe protect us or safeguard us. He might reveal something we could not know, but God knows because he sees the condition of hearts. Maybe it's a revelation of some covered sin or some problem that's happening and God wants to expose it and bring it to light and deal with it. So he might impart a word of knowledge, as we'll see with Peter and other occasions later on. Maybe it's insight about something we need to know that will help us. But again, it's not a reservoir of information we tap into from what we've researched and learned or by natural processes we've gathered some information and discovered through efforts. This is an enablement of the Spirit at specific times when it is necessary as God sees fit to bring forth a revelation of knowledge about something that only God knows and only God could know and he reveals it to a child of God for a purpose that is beneficial and helpful. And the only way they could know is if God had showed it to them. And often it happens very naturally, just almost as sort of an impression that comes to someone's heart or mind. Uh, so much so that when this gift is at work, sometimes when it's at work and God gives maybe someone a word of knowledge about something, sometimes it's almost dismissed out of the guilty feeling of, am I just having a, a, a wicked or a judgmental attitude here? Am I just having a critical thought? here? Why am I thinking this? And sometimes it's almost a, a struggle having to work through the discernment of, God, is that you? I mean, could that really be something that you've just shown me for a, a purpose or, or a reason in some way? Jeremiah 11:18, speaking of how the Lord revealed something to him on one occasion, listen to what Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 11:18. He says, "Now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it, for you showed me what they were doing." So Jeremiah experienced this and testifies to how on occasion in his prophetic ministry it was necessary and helpful for him and God would impart to him a revelation of things on occasion. If you want, turn with me. We'll look at a few biblical examples of this to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, Elijah, the prophet, the protege of Elijah, seemed to be a man who this gift would work in his life on occasion and in sort of conjunction with his prophetic ministry. 2 Kings chapter 5, in the Old Testament, uh, Elijah, this story, uh, we're told a man named Naaman the Syrian had leprosy and a young Hebrew girl was there. She had been captured and was now working inside of Naaman's home. And she recommended to Naaman's wife that there's a prophet in Israel that truly is in touch with the power of God. And if Naaman, her husband who was leprous and struggling with this incurable disease, though a great military man, that if he would go there, that God perhaps might heal him. 
Well, Naaman finally submits to this proposal and his king uh, even writes him a letter and endows him with all kinds of money to go and pay whatever the price is to receive this miraculous healing possibly by this man who's in touch with God, Elijah, there in Israel. And Elijah then goes up to Israel with the endorsement of his king and as he goes there, he uh, ultimately works through a process and, and Elijah tells him to go and to... Uh, dip and basically wash in the Jordan River seven times, and that he would be miraculously healed. And initially, he's kind of he's kind of you know frustrated and offended by this. Well, just, I thought he was going to say some abracadabra, super caduper, you know, uh, Holy Ghost miraculous and and do something. He just told me to go dip in a river seven times, and and he was bothered at first. But then a servant said to him, "Look, if he told you to do something really complicated, would you have done that?" What what what? And he basically says to him, my summarization of the Hebrew chapter, what do you got to lose? What do you got to lose? <laughs> Just try it. Do what he said in faith. And he goes, and, and you can picture as he's going through the process, I, I envision in my mind, as he's trying to go through this process, he has to dip down seven times in the Jordan River, and there's probably people around him watching. There, there's, he's probably almost kind of like, you know, you know what I mean? He's probably just like us. He's probably just thinking, this is this is humiliating too. Three, four, five, you know. And he just and all these people are watching this really influential. And the seventh time he does it and he's healed. Miraculously, his leprosy leaves him. He is so astounded by the power of God that had come through this prophet's words to him and the healing miraculously experienced. Look at second second Kings verse. 15 of chapter 5. He returned then to the man of God, he and all his aides, and he came and stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please, he's so grateful for this healing, take a gift from your servant. He wants to do something to pay him back just out of gratitude. It's very understandable. His life was touched out of gratitude. He just wants to do something to reward him. He had been sent there with the equivalent of, of, of a vast multitude of money from his own king's treasury. So he says, look, what can I do for you? Please, God is real. This is incredible. What can I do to reward you, to help you, to, to bless you with some kind of a gift? Verse 16, but Elijah said to him, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take money, notice, but he refused. So Elisha refuses to receive any compensation or special reward for just speaking the word of the Lord to this man and, and the healing that he received. He just wants to let God have the glory and he doesn't feel he needs to take compensation or remuneration for this miracle of God that has just taken place in his life. So Naaman then departs. He begins to head back towards home since Elisha's refused the resources. Look with me in verse 20 now and watch what happens. Gehazi, verse 20, who was a servant of Elijah, one of his helpers, the man of God, he said to himself, look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought, some money. But as the Lord lives... If he's going to pass it up, I'm not, he's thinking. I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running to him, he got down from his chariot to meet him, and he said, Is all well? Is everything okay? And he said, All is well. My master, first lie, has sent me, 
saying indeed just now two young men from the sons of the prophets which seem to be like a prophetic school uh, they've come from the mountains of Ephraim please could you give to them maybe a talent of silver and two changes of garments you know sponsor these two young prophetic missionaries so Naaman said please absolutely take two talents look I've, I wanted to give a gift to start with that is nothing so he urged him and he bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of garments handed them to his two servants and they carried him on ahead of them and when he came to the citadel he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house and then he let the men go and they departed so Gehazi takes this money secretly, he goes and hides it away, thinking that he has done this without his master Elijah being aware of what he has just done to go and take advantage of this man who his master just refused to receive compensation from for the work of God in his life. Look at verse 25, look what happens. Now he went in and stood before his master Elijah, and Elijah said to them, could you imagine this? Uh, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. Been in the other room, sipping tea. Verse 26, he said to him, imagine this, did not my heart, because he had the heart of God, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from the chariot to meet you? And he said, is it time to receive money, to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous as white as snow. Can you imagine? He comes in. Hey, where have you been? Oh, nowhere. No, I just just been in the next room. And then he tells him exactly not only what he did but he even knew what his intentions were to do with the money. Because look in verse 26, he says, is it time to receive money and clothing? That he did do, correct? Talent of silver, two changes of garments. But then he said, olive groves, vineyards, sheep, oxen, male, female. He didn't take that. But see, Elijah saw what the motive and agenda of his heart was. You're going to try and manipulate your position in ministry because you got all kinds of agendas of how you're going to try and rip people off financially. And, and, and God just reveals to Elijah in a word of knowledge, one, what his prior actions were and even what his future intentions were. And again, God reveals to Elijah something. Uh, there's no way Elijah could have known that. He didn't send out spies. He wasn't you know, keeping tabs on him. He knew it because God revealed it to him. God supernaturally imparted a word of knowledge to reprove him of his sin and to bring the light what he was doing for the profit and benefit of the ministry of the prophecy and so forth of all that was happening among them, especially since this was one of his servants and helpers in ministry. Now, if you look just to the next chapter, chapter 6, verse 8, another occasion we see God do this through the life of this man, Elijah. This seems to be a gift at times that manifested itself in his life and calling. Verse 8 of chapter 6 says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. So now there's a time of military conflict. And he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, Elijah, went to the king of Israel and said, Beware, don't pass this particular place, for the Syrians are coming down there. And the king of Israel sent someone to the place, the man of God told him, and thus he warned him and was watchful there, not just once or twice. In other words, he kept giving away the military strategy of the enemy. Boy, we need more men of God in touch with the government and the military nowadays, don't we? <laughs> he kept telling them where, look, 
This is where he's going to be. He's going to set up right here. He's going to launch an ambush there and they would go and they would foil the ambush and they would be there waiting for them militarily. So he kept foiling uh, the enemy who was trying to attack them militarily. This guy would be great with the law enforcement, wouldn't he? You're picking up criminals before they do stuff, you know. I mean, this is, this is incredible. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this. So he called his servants. Again, he doesn't know what's happening. And he says, will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, there is someone in this military that keeps reporting information to the Israeli military. And they keep foiling our military plans. There's a, there's, there's a Benedict Arnold in our midst. Who keeps giving secret information away? The answer comes, which we see was happening, and one of his servants said, uh, Not so, my lord. We're all faithful. We're all loyal, O king. But Elisha, that prophet who's over there in Israel, remember the guy who healed Naaman? <laughs> that prophet of Israel? Look, he says, He tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Again, who could hear what the guy said in the privacy of his own household chamber in his bedroom? As he maybe shared with his wife, say, this is what I'm thinking for my next military attack. Who, who hears that? God. God. Because God knows every word that we speak. God hears every thought that we have. God sees everything that no one else sees and knows. And the only way Elisha could know those things is the God who knows all things just revealed to him supernaturally what he could not know my natural means and in this case how beautiful it actually helped save lives and spare military losses and so forth look with me over in jeremiah 32 we see another occasion where i think this is kind of unfolding we'll give you just a few more examples here jeremiah 32 jeremiah the prophet at times it seems experienced this and in jeremiah 32 if you look at verse 6 again this is a time when the southern kingdom of Judah was now being pushed out of the land of Israel and we're going to go into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. So for 70 years, they were pushed out of their land. They would be sitting in captivity as they experienced the discipline for their wrongdoing before God. And as a result of that, the land was basically worthless and profitless. I mean, why would you want a piece of land in Israel? It's not even going to be yours. The enemy is going to be in control of it for the next 70 years. God had told them that. Now, look what happens Jeremiah 32, verse 6. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying to Jeremiah, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, in other words, your cousin, he's going to come to you and he's going to say, Hey, Jeremiah, buy my field, which is an Ananoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Verse 8, Then Hananel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Please buy my field that is an Ananoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. And Jeremiah says, look at the end of verse 8, Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So again, what does God do? God knows exactly what's going to happen before it happens. And he tells Jeremiah in advance, Jeremiah, listen, nobody would buy a piece of land in Israel right now. That would be the most ludicrous, foolish real estate transaction anybody would make. The land's going to be vacant for 70 years. It's going to be overrun for 70 years. You're going to be pushed out of the land. You won't even have possession of it to utilize the real estate for 70 years. The prices of real estate would drastically 
dip if you get my drift. That their, their land is worthless. This would be a foolish business transaction. So God says to Jeremiah, because he knows if Jeremiah used his rational mind, he would say, are you kidding me? What are you, what are you trying to rip me off, cuz? Buy your field? Who wants to buy your field? I don't want to buy your field. I'm going to spend my heart. Why would I? But God tells Jeremiah in advance. See, God wanted Jeremiah to buy that field as an act and demonstration of faith in the promises and the grace of God. Jeremiah 29, I know the thoughts I think towards you, not of harm or of evil, but to give you a future and a hope. So God wanted Jeremiah to buy that field as a prophet of God to demonstrate God will restore us. And even though God's going to allow us to be disciplined, God's going to be gracious to us. And God's going to bring us back and he's going to restore us and he's going to work this out for the good. So as an act of faith, God wanted Jeremiah to buy that field to demonstrate that he truly believed the very prophecies he was telling the people of God that God was going to be gracious to them amidst their failures and disobedience. But he tells Jeremiah in advance, Jeremiah, your cousin's coming. He's going to say, buy this specific field that the right of redemption is yours and he tells him in advance so that then when it happens, exactly like God told him, which seemed awfully strange, Jeremiah said, you know what? This is God. Because God revealed to me that you were going to come and make this business proposal. And God revealed to me that I was supposed to do this. And so therefore he acted upon it in faith. So there God reveals something to him in advance that only God could know that his cousin was coming to do this because God had a purpose in the process. And see, sometimes God may, at times, deposit knowledge about something in your mind prior to the time when it actually comes to pass so that when it happens, you can have a confirmation. I, this is God. It doesn't seem logical, but God told me this was going to happen. God told me that person was going to come to me. God told me specifically that this opportunity was going to come, and he told me before it ever came to pass and who else could know it was going to happen except God? And so sometimes God will do this. There have been times in my life where the Lord has in advance began to speak things to me about certain things that I know he was just telling me in advance to prepare me so that then when it came to pass, I would say, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And you know, I've shared before, you know, a few years before God ever even began to open the door in a circumstantial way for us to come here and to start an outreach Bible study when I was still pastoring the church in York, in Calvary Chapel of York, as I was sensing that God was stirring in my heart that maybe something was on the horizon in the future and, and I was just unsettled and I couldn't figure it out, but I just wanted to be patient and wait upon the Lord and we were just praying through it, my wife and I together and, and literally... As I would be praying at times, I would hear the word gateway in my mind. Okay, well, what is this gateway? Calvary gateway. And, I, and why am I hearing this word? What's this? I mean, what does this have to do with anything? Well, lo and behold, God knew that ultimately, as the pieces all shuffled out, that where do we find ourselves sitting circumstantially as a church? In the city of Northfield, which if you just drive up Tilton Road to Tilton Road and Route 9 at the McDonald's, there's a big sign that says, Welcome to Northfield, Gateway to the Shore. Now, See, I just look at that and say, wow, there's a little token from the Lord of, yeah, I, I kind of know things a few years before they happen, Tony. <laughs> at least a few years before they happen. I kind of know. And, and see, at times the Lord will just give those little tokens in our lives to reveal something that only he could know 
in the ways in which only he can. And he has his purposes for it. You know, John chapter 4, we see this gift at work, I think, in Jesus' life. And again, in his humanity as this gift was manifest through Jesus. He's there with the well with the woman from Samaria. And as he's dialoguing her, remember, he says to her at one point, he says, look, this is conversations, you know, maybe go. And so he says, why don't you call your husband before we go further in this conversation? Remember that story, John 4? Why don't you call your husband? And, and she then says to Jesus, uh, actually, I don't have a husband. And he says, actually, you're right. Indeed, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with right now isn't even your husband. You're not even married to the man that you're living with, and you've already had five husbands before him. And she says, whoa. She runs and tells her, I met a man who told me everything. And she's astonished because she realizes, how could anyone know that about my life except God? She had kept that to herself. Nobody knew that. But, and so this total stranger knew something about her. And again, I think this gift was at work in her life. One other occasion, look in Acts chapter 5. We see this again at work in the early church for purposes. Acts chapter 5, many of us are familiar with this story with Ananias and Sapphira and Peter. Acts chapter 5 says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it. And again, the idea of this here is not that they're holding back money from God, but they're, they're trying to act that they're being more generous and giving and gracious, like other people had been in the early church, coming and laying their resources at the apostles' feet so the poor could be helped and people could have distribution so there was help and equality among the, the early church. And, and they want to kind of look spiritual too. So they sell their possession and they come pretending in hypocrisy like they're bringing the wholesale price because they want to look spiritual like everybody else who's getting accolades for being spiritual and generous. But really it says, verse 2, they kept back part of the proceeds, him and his wife being aware of it. And they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Look what happens. Here's the word of knowledge. As they bring the money, now nobody knows this, but Mr. and Miss. Ananias and Sapphira and God don't forget but Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself now at that moment do you picture all the color just drained out of their, <laughs> out of their what what are you kidding me Peter just exposes and speaks forth exactly what only they and God knew. And he reveals their sin and their hypocrisy and the thing that they had been trying to hide. He exposes it because God revealed the knowledge of it to him. Again, how did Peter know that? Did, you know, did the apostles have little spies, private investigators, keep track of those Christians and bring back report to me? And we'll charge 95 hours and we'll have a big session and you tell me information and, and then I'll, I'll call them on the carpet about it. No. God knew. And so God told Peter and Peter just spoke it forth because it protected the church from hypocrisy and the pollution of hypocrisy and being infiltrated into the church. So Peter brings this to light because only God who knew about it revealed it to him miraculously through this word of knowledge in that moment and he exposes what's going on again in acts 8 you see another example of this so again some practical examples how this gift comes forth in operation sometimes i think this gift the word of knowledge 
will at times manifest itself even in the midst of the teaching of the Word of God. As someone is sharing the Word of God, maybe in a home Bible study or in a church service, as God's Word's being taught, let's say, for example, then in the midst of a teaching, as the Word of God's being expounded and, and taught, someone who's teaching uses a hypothetical illustration or they make an application. And that hypothetical illustration becomes a perfect, specific description of exactly what's going on in somebody's life. And they're just using a hypothetical illustration or trying to give an application, and it's a perfect description of somebody's current situation at that very time. And as a result, it powerfully exposes that person's heart in such a way where they realize, oh my goodness, God knows what's going on in my life. And God just said that to me. God just spoke that to me. And, and again, God reveals something maybe that's not in the preparation or, or God reveals something and, and the teacher is completely unconscious that it even happened. Again, it's not, oh, wait, wait a minute. Wait, I think God's telling me something. And it's... Yes, John Russell, it's always you. It's always the retired cops. No, right? That's, it's just, it very naturally happens we can delete that, John. That's not true. I'm just kidding, of course. <laughs> I love police officers. That's why I do that. I was a chaplain before. But just in a very natural way, God supernaturally imparts knowledge to speak to someone, to reveal something maybe to them, it brings conviction that God's aware. Sometimes maybe you're in a conversation and you just say something. And you say something and you're completely oblivious that you say something and yet God's imparted knowledge to you about something and just in a net, you say something out loud and as you say it out loud, you're unaware. Actually, God just gave you a word of knowledge and you just totally pulled the cover back and exposed somebody's heart or revealed something to them where they go, oh my goodness, how did that person know that? They didn't know it. God knew it. And he just said something through him because he wanted to work in a way maybe to help. Maybe it's a strong impression that will come on your heart showing you something specific, what's happening or going to happen. Now, in this area, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, these kind of gifts and manifestations we're looking at, let's be very candid. There are going to be abuses and there are going to be misuses that happen at times as well where people will try and pass off things like, a word of knowledge when maybe it is not on that occasion the Holy Spirit actually working through them in, in some different ways. For example, and I'm just going to be very honest here, in manipulation. For example, who has not maybe observed a TV meeting before or maybe you've been in a meeting before where something like someone from the front says, the Lord has spoken to me tonight and he's revealed to me that there are five people in this room that are going to give a thousand dollars to the work of, you know, such and such ministry. And, 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 and so the five of you stand up right now. In Jesus' name, just stand up right now. And, and in this perceived indication that God's giving a word of knowledge, what happens? Sadly, even worse, not even just that they say that, but sometimes five people stand up. What's always awkward if maybe like seven people stand up. You know, the two of you sit down. We're only taking five. You know, because everybody want, what, because people feel in that moment compelled and then it appeals to somebody's flesh and they think, oh, well, that's going to seem pretty spiritual if I stand up in the same way he got a word of knowledge. If I'm one of the chosen uh, and, and people get manipulated through the supposed manifestations of the spirit. And it's tragic, but just a reality. Sometimes I think this is somewhat passed off 
in generalizations. And let me explain what I mean by that, generalizations. For example, the word of knowledge, people want to indicate and pass off something. So they'll say something like that uh, or in a meeting or whatever. You know, the Lord has revealed to me uh, that someone in the room has a headache. The Lord has revealed to me that, that um, you know, the Lord's revealing that someone is very discouraged. Or the Lord's revealed to me tonight that someone is struggling with sin. Who isn't? There's probably seven people who are discouraged, three people with a headache, and everybody's struggling with sin. The point is, is again, a word of knowledge is going to be a very specific, do you understand what I'm saying? A very specific revelation of critical knowledge or information that has a purpose intended with it. And so again, sometimes people use broad generalizations and they want to pass off as if this gift of the word of knowledge is working through their life using these you know, general statements. The word of knowledge will be a specific revelation, something that cannot be known apart from God revealing that timely word of information that he knows that a person could not know unless God revealed it to him. It will be very specific and it will have a definite purpose for God imparting it as the result. See, the problem with spiritual gifts, and we have to be humble and real about it, is there's always an element of the flesh involved. And this is the challenge. And I don't think we should shy away from being open to the manifestations of the Spirit. I think that's just as wrong. But the reality is the manifestations and the gifts of the Spirit happen through, guess what? Human beings who are fleshly and who, who, who have, you know, just spiritual weaknesses and our fleshly nature all wrapped up into this thing. So I guess the best way it's been illustrated before and I'll stick with it because it's good is it's like in the summer if maybe you're really hot and you've been mowing the lawn and you're just dying for a drink and so you just go over and you turn on the faucet and you take a drink out of the garden hose, the rubber garden hose and what does the water always taste like? Has a little bit of a rubber taste to it because of the hose that it... So you still get the water you still get quite your thirst quenched, and but, but the water always has a little bit of the taste of the rubber hose that it flowed through. And see, sometimes in the operations of the Spirit, this, this can be the reality. The Spirit is genuinely moving among the people of God, but sometimes you get a little bit of a taste of the rubber hose that it came through of the person. And, and I think we have to be sensitive and flexible in relation to that and not just quench the work of God's Spirit because of that. Again, we might ask the question, why would really, again, the Bible says for the prophet, why would the Lord give a person such specific knowledge about something or someone else, private insight into another person's heart or mind or life or activities? I mean, why would God do that? Well, let me just mention before we close perhaps a, a few possible ideas. Certainly not for humiliation. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And God does not impart knowledge to you or to me about someone else's life in such a way as that so that we might humiliate a person. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's not so that we might embarrass a person or gossip about a person. Hey, we need to pray for him or her. It's not so that we can start a public ministry and act like somehow we're a psychic or a fortune teller and therefore we have dibs on this gift. So we're going to use this to our profit to say, hey, I have the word of knowledge all the time. I can just use it whenever I want. So again, this is going on in your life and that's going on in your life and for X amount of dollars, you can come to my meeting and I'll tell you what's going on. It would not be for that. Let me give you some legitimate reasons why the word of knowledge may happen and why God might give private insight 
that only he knows about another person's life or actions or situation. Number one, prayer. To intercede and to pray for them. Maybe to tell nobody else, but to just sincerely intercede and pray. God may show you something because he wants you to stand in the gap and really intercede for a person. And he shares that with you that you might intercede and, and, and make supplication on their behalf. Secondly, I think another reason is protection. Not just prayer, but protection. Maybe he might give that information to protect you from a person. Or maybe to protect that person from what they're about to do, God reveals it to you that you might expose to them that God knows to protect them before they keep driving through the detour and, and the roadblock signs and drive off the cliff. So it could be to protect you. It could be to protect them or protect others. It also may be for the purpose of encouraging or exhorting a person. God may show something to you so that you can exhort and encourage a person. Hey, God revealed to me what's on your heart and I want to encourage you. Go for it. Obey the Lord. And God may want to use you to give an encouragement to someone. God may want to use you to prompt someone to... God has shown me you've really been searching. You're at a place where you're really searching for God. And this is real what God's doing in your life. So surrender. Cry out to Him. Accept Jesus Christ. And, 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 and you may shut... Nobody knew that but me and God. I wasn't giving that away to anybody. And God may reveal something at times for purposes to encourage or maybe to provide help to a person. Or, or lastly, sometimes God may do this as just a powerful manifestation of the reality that he is real and he is present in the midst of people's lives. For example, as you share a word of knowledge, someone finds themselves doing what most would do, saying, how could you possibly know that? No one knows that. And a person realizes only God knows that. Maybe God's real. And maybe I ought to turn to him. Maybe I ought to believe that he's real and legitimate and embrace him. And the spirit at times, again, the manifestations of the spirit, God may do this to manifest, to reveal he is present and he is at work.